0: Good morning, church family. My name is Katie, and Kyle has asked me to do the scripture reading this morning. Uh, So we're picking up in Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 through 20. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them. Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt." When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. After they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry, then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. O Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people, whom you've brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. Relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. So Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there is the sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, it is not the sound of victory, It is not the sound of defeat, it is the sound of singing that I hear. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hand, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf they had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it.
1: Thanks, Katie. This is an interesting story in the Bible, and we'll get to some of the the details of it. But I want to consider and put ourselves in the mindset that the Israelites might have been in at the beginning. I mean, have you ever found yourself feeling like God was nowhere to be found? Perhaps you've had an experience where you've been really close to God, and then you suddenly sort of feel at a distance from him. Maybe you reached out to God for an answer and you just felt like either God wasn't giving you the answer that you wanted or maybe you found yourself just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting on the Lord. What was your response in that situation? What has your response been when you haven't felt proximity to God or felt like he's been there in the moments where you were expecting him to be close to you. If you're like me, you probably get distracted and diverted towards something else. Something else that, that makes you perhaps feel a sense of control. Or maybe something that makes you feel a sense of uh, fulfillment, pleasure. Something that makes you feel sort of connected to, to something because of that sense of disconnect. What's that thing for you? What's that thing that you find yourself continuously running to when you find yourself lonely or bored or out of control or just missing God? Well, that's your golden calf. The story of the golden calf is the story of the people of God feeling disconnected from him. And so they chose to build something that would fulfill their need. They they chose something that would give them comfort and a sense of proximity to something that they know and can control. Each of us has at least one calf. Some of us have whole farm's worth. And we, as we read about in the scripture today, it doesn't matter how many we have. I mean, all of the Israelites together had this one, but still, it was enough to bring upset to God and to drive a wedge in their relationship with him. You see, when Moses didn't come down the mountain fast enough, I mean, 40 days and 40 nights have passed. It's been more than a month. The people got confused and scared and bored. And so what did they do? They built their unholy cow that they would worship now if you're like me you probably sit there and wonder why a cow i mean the israelites could have chosen to to make anything to fashion any sort of image in which they could have worshipped god or gods and they chose a cow i mean cows are kind of cute i guess cows serve a purpose Uh, Cows are around so you can see them to sort of be amused. But but really, why a cow? Well, it's likely that they chose a cow because of the situation they had just come out of. In Egypt, there was a number of gods or bovine represented deities. There was their god Hathor who was represented by the head of a cow. There was Isis, the queen of the Egyptian gods who had horns upon her head. There was another servant to the gods who was known to be covered in his skin of gold and often come represented as a cow. Commentator John McKay points this out. He says, images of calves and bulls were associated with the strength and power of the deity. And the idols, as well as certain live animals, came to be regarded as embodiments of the God. So here, too, the Israelites are asking for a representation of a God, or of the God. So what happened is the Israelites start to feel abandoned, they start to feel alone, they start to feel bored, they start to feel sad, whatever mixture of feelings they were having, while God and Moses are up on the mountain, so they decide to turn to to an idol that will bring them some sense of familiarity. They turn to a bovine deity. One writer says it's clearly harder to get Egypt out of Israel than it was to get Israel out of Egypt. I mean, God's done some incredible things along the way, right? God has sent all these Uh, Miraculous signs and plagues, which eventually drove the Egyptians to send their people out into the wilderness. We've seen God has parted the Red Sea. We've seen God has given his people manna and water from a rock to provide for them. We see that God has given them a pillar of fire and cloud to guide them. God has brought his presence onto Mount Sinai, and still they return. They return to what is familiar. They return to what is comfortable. They return to what they can control. They go back to their golden calves. And isn't that our story too? Isn't that our story too, especially as followers of Jesus, where it doesn't matter what God has done for us, we still go back. For just a second, I just want to explore what is it for you? Like really, what is your golden calf? Or what does your herd look like? What are the things that you return to time and time again? What are the things that your heart longs for when you decide to turn your eyes away from God? You know, there could be a whole bunch of different things. There could be a lot of different things because of the way We sort of have grown up in the culture that we're in. Humors might be different than these, but let me give you a list of some. Perhaps it's materialism. It doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor. Our society has taught us to value stuff. And we have been told by advertisers for a long time at the expense of billions and billions of dollars that if I return to their product, things will feel good, at least for a little while things will be what will, will give me comfort things will distinguish me make me feel powerful make me feel fortunate make me feel worthy of attention make me feel connected or one of a whole bunch of other things now it's not to say that having nice things is to make an idol out of them but we should be very careful to examine what our heart is for The uh, Israelites, it was very obvious that this was a materialistic thing. I mean, they built a literal gold statue, which they could worship and honor. Now, how do you know if something materialistic is uh, one of your idols? Well, let me give you an example of two friends of mine who are both car guys. Uh, I have one friend who's a car guy and it's simply truly just a hobby and another one uh, who for him it is quite an idol. The idol guy keeps his car pristine at all times. He won't let you ride in his car if you are wet or you're dirty, including his own children. He makes his wife go pick them up in a separate car. There's no eating in his car, no drinking in his car, anything, not even water. He spends more time seemingly, uh, and more money and energy in making sure his car is pristine than it seems like he spends with his wife and kids or on any other sort of venture. For this guy, it's an idol. On the other hand, I have a friend whose truck looks perfect. He always keeps it clean. He's always working on it, and it looks good. But at the same time, What I've noticed with him is that he is willing to drive his truck long distances to pull someone's car off the side of the road. He's willing to drive you if you're wet or dirty or stranded, and he'll haul anything he can in his truck to serve. Right? We can see that there's a difference in the way we treat things. And so it should encourage us to ask the question, are there things that might have become an idol? Now, sometimes it's things, but sometimes it's simply our own pleasures. Now, again, it's not that enjoying things is bad, but oftentimes if we put ourselves above everything else, all of our priorities get out of whack. Really ask yourself the question, do I spend the majority of my efforts in satisfying myself? For some of us, it means treating ourselves and making sure we're always pampered. For others, it's thrill-seeking. For others, it's seeking physical, sexual, emotional, or mental pleasures above everything else. That's what our mind goes to when we have an opportunity to wander. That's where our dollars are spent. That's how our time is used. Our materials or yourself, perhaps, your idols. What about relationships? Oh, man, I think relationships can be one of the biggest idols in our lives. It certainly is an issue for me. My family often takes priority even over my focus on God. Good things can be idols, is partially what I'm saying here. But, but really, is is are your relationships something that distract you from God, or something that you go to to give you your ultimate sense of validation, your ultimate perhaps sense of control? Maybe it's just where you want to be and to go to feel something when you're waiting on God. And this isn't just true for those who are married or have kids. This is also true for those who are single. Our friend relationships can get in our way of following after God. The pursuit of relationships and dating can become what consumes all our mindset. We can spend time desiring relationships that we don't have. We're looking for something to fulfill us besides God. These are the types of golden calves that we have and and they're probably the most obvious but let me say one that's perhaps one of the most insidious especially for those of us who come to church and that's our religion or our spirituality if you will now I know that sounds really funny for me to come and say in church I mean, this is what I have devoted my, my living towards. This is what we've called ourselves here for. This is what we're giving ourselves over to for an hour and a half this morning. And to say that seems funny, but it is true. There are honestly people who prioritize their worship or their theological convictions, or the fact that they think they're intellectually superior, or the fact that they feel like they go to church more than others, above their relationship with the Lord. And this isn't something that should be crazy to us. We see it all throughout Scripture. We see it especially in the teachings of Jesus, in the life of Jesus when he encountered the Pharisees. You know, the Pharisees were an interesting bunch because their heart started well in that they wanted to follow and serve God. But their best intentions ended up bringing them back time and time again to worrying about keeping God's law rather than being with the lawgiver. Religious living can be something that actually distracts us from our relationship with God if we're not careful. Now, these are just a few of the common things that we might run into. Yours might, could be any one of innumerable other things. But it's good to recognize what those things are. And it's important to recognize because there's a whole lot of problems that stem from the golden calves in our lives. I mean, it's clear that we should take this seriously. Just look at how God responds to Moses. In verse 9 and 10, God calls the people of Israel stiff-necked people. He sends Moses down the mountain. And he says, I want to let my anger burn, and I then want to destroy those people. This is how much God hates our idol worship. So as followers of Jesus, it's important then that we consider what we're putting in front of our relationship with him. Jesus famously said, no one can serve two masters. Do you serve two masters? Well, what sort of problems can come with this? Well, in order to consider this, I want us to just sort of think about what exactly it was that was the problem with what the Israelites did so that we can sort of examine the problems that come from our idol worship. The very first problem we see is that this is direct disobedience To the command God had given his people and the covenant, the promise, the commitment, the contract that they had signed with God. This is 40 days after the Ten Commandments were given. This is 40 days after the people went to God and said, yes, because of what you've done. Because you have saved us and spared us and let us out into your presence, we are going to follow your way of living. We're going to keep those Ten Commandments and all the other laws that you've given us. Well, they didn't even check off the first two. What are the first two of the Ten Commandments? You shall have no other gods before me. And you shall not make yourself an image or an idol of anything from heaven, earth, or the waters below, and you shall not worship it. The first two things that God asked the people to do and the people agreed to do is the things that they throw away first when they feel disconnected from God, when they don't sense his presence. This is a huge problem with our idol worship. Because really what we do when we choose to latch on something else is we spit in the face of God. When we say that we're going to put our faith and trust in Jesus, we're not just making an intellectual assent. God doesn't just say, I want you to know the right answers and then we're going to be good. God says, I want you to make a commitment to me because of what I have done. I want you to follow me and trust in me in all that you do as you live life. Jesus says, follow me. But when we turn to something else, we can no longer follow. We're supposed to dedicate every fiber of our being to loving God, right? Jesus said, what's the greatest command? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What's the second thing? To love others as yourself, When we go back to our sense of control, when we go back to the things that make us feel good, the things that make us feel big, the things that make us feel powerful, we deny the very two main things that God asks us to do. When we choose to follow Jesus, we make a covenant commitment. Yes, this is a new covenant, different than the one the Israelites made before Moses and God, but in the same way, We've made a deal with God. Jesus has come to die so that his side of the agreement could be upheld. He literally laid down his life so that we could be delivered from our slavery to sin, in our case, or in the Israelites' case, their slavery to the Egyptians, so that we could be in relationship. And when we look at God and we say, you know what? That's not quite enough, good enough for me in this moment. I'm going to go to this other thing. We mock everything that he's done. He wiped away our debt, and we turn to something else to start building it up again. Now, sure, this might not be something that's always intentional, but there is times where it's a very deliberate choice. Sometimes, if we're honest, if I'm honest, I like to turn to those other things because they don't really demand anything of me. They don't really infringe upon what I like and how I want to live. Sometimes God feels like he's attacking me. He's not. He's not. I know that. But I feel that way by the things he calls me to do or by the fact that he asks me to wait when I want an answer now. And I get sick of that, so what do I do? I build or look to something else that I can control. Theologian R.C. Spool gives us sort of this indication of how this is similar with the cow. He says, the cow gave no law and demanded no obedience. It had no wrath or justice or holiness to be feared. It was deaf, dumb, and impotent. But at least it could not intrude on their fun and call them to judgment. This was a religion designed by men, practiced by men, and ultimately useless for men. Yeah, you know, I think it's really interesting. I don't know exactly what was in Moses' mind, but I, I love this part, right? He comes down the mountain, he sees what they've done, he throws down the tablets, and then what does he do? He goes, I'm going to make you pay for this. And he takes that golden calf, and he breaks it down, and he crushes it into powder, and he scatters it up on the water, and then he makes the people drink it up. Why did he do that? Well, I agree with Nancy Ortberg, who once said, the reason I think he did that is so that people would realize that it satisfies no thirst. The reality is, the things we chase after, if we're really honest, is that they won't quench the thirst. That sense of waiting will keep on going, that sense of disconnect will keep on growing, and our desires will be left ultimately unfulfilled. This is a problem for us. Do we want to keep growing in our sense of disconnection? Not because we ever were disconnected. This is the irony of what the Israelites did, right? The irony of what happened with the Israelites is that God was very present with them. There was a pillar of fire and cloud. God was visibly present up on the mountain. God was providing them supernatural food, the manna that they would eat every single day. And they went and said, God, where are you? This is the same thing that's true for us today. The other problem with our idol worship and with what we see with the Israelites is that it's a misuse of what God has intended for his plans. When we worship our things, or ourselves, or the things we can control, we're misusing the things that God has given us for his plans. I'd never really thought about this until I was reading one commentator this week, Uh, but Did you notice that these people who were once in absolute poverty as slaves had a bunch of gold? That's really interesting to me. They're slaves, they're impoverished, they have nothing. They're literally just walking around with bits of leather in Egypt upon them. So much so that they have no shade that they're dying off in hordes and masses. Yet somehow... When they're out here in the wilderness, they got gold? Well, one of the incredible things that we have come to understand is that what God did when he sent out these people who had been impoverished in slavery is he somehow equipped them to have gold. It's likely, based on the customs of the day, that when a a slave goes free, that their masters are to give them what they need to go and live, that God had arranged this. That God had arranged for the Egyptians to give the people of Israel what they needed to go and worship. That's what God had originally called them to. He said, Pharaoh, I want you to let my people go out into the wilderness to worship me. Give them what they need and let my people go. So the Egyptians have provided the Israelites with what they need to worship. Remember what God calls them to. He calls them to, as we saw last week, to build a tabernacle. And in that tabernacle, there's a whole bunch of things. And those things are to be fashioned out of gold. God's given these people the craftsmanship and tools they need and the resources that they should have in order to have proper worship. And what do they do? They take those things that were meant to worship God and they use them to worship themselves. That's what we do in our culture with our idols. We take the very things that God has given us, our time, our talents, our resources, and we fashion them into something that we control rather than devoting them to the worship of God and the expansion of his kingdom. That leads me to ask myself a very important question. What am I doing with what God has given me? Fourth, fourth thing that is a problem is this becomes very dangerous. Have you noticed what happens after they build this calf that goes up on some sort of pedestal. We see see that that, uh, Aaron comes up and he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to build an altar to the Lord right in front of it. So there's going to be sort of this like two-tiered system of worship. And then after we do this, what we're going to do is we're going to sort of mix in some of what uh, God called us to do. We're going to have a festival and a feast and we're going to make offerings. But then while we do that, we're also going to get involved in some revelry. Spoiler alert, that word revelry doesn't mean what we think it means. It means a quite, uh, there's children here, so I'll be careful. Uh, It means this quite inappropriate thing that happens between men and women, and in this case, it's en masse in large group. That dancing is sort of the horizontal polka, if you will. This is what the people do. They take some of what God wants and some of what this pagan worship that they have seen in Egypt did. They take some things that are holy and pure and they take other things that are debased and disgusting and they mix them all together. They take a little bit of truth and a little bit of falsehood. They take a little bit of what God wants, a little bit of what they want, and they throw it in a pot and they mix it about. That's dangerous. That is incredibly dangerous. Why? Because when we mix truth with a lie, when we mix right faith and worship with things that are not from God, things begin to get muddy. Things to begin to spiral out of control. The Apostle Paul makes this very clear in Romans chapter 1. He says, people begin to exchange truth for lies. And the more lies they mix in, the more truth gets muddied and things will start to head in the wrong direction. The Apostle Paul warns, this is when if we're following Jesus, we stop seeing the fruit of the Spirit. And instead we experience things like, and he's got a whole list there, gossip, anger, greed, depravity, envy, deceit, arrogance. And as those things come in, out goes love, mercy, truth. When we come to this place where we begin to worship idols, one of the things that is very easy for us to do is to justify them or figure out how we can bring them in to be part of our worship. But as we do that, what happens? Our focus is divided. No longer are we just worshiping the Lord. We're also worshiping something else. No longer are we very clear on the way we should live because now we're torn into which thing am I going to serve today. If you're like me, you find yourself in this all the time. I often identify with the Apostle Paul who said, I keep finding myself doing the things that I'm not supposed to do, and I'm not doing the things I'm supposed to do. And this is because. This has become the way that I live. And it's confusing. But the good news is, Scripture provides us ways out paths forward. Jesus illuminates the path if we would pay attention. The Holy Spirit speaks the truth through God's word. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and 14, Paul's setting up this letter to the church in Corinth, who is now generations after what's happened in Israel, writing to a group that's done the very same thing. Mixed truth with lies and started to live in their own way, with their own good, but still sort of trying to follow Jesus. He writes this after telling them about the situation in Exodus. He says this, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. This isn't the sort of thing that says, slowly carve it out in a nice, easy pattern so that you no longer have to go through. Paul says, I want you to cut and run. If there is something in your life that keeps rearing its ugly head for you to worship, kill it, get it out of your life. It's easier to stay away from situations that cause us to sin than it is for us to resist the temptation when they're present. If there's something that's tempting you, remove it. If there's things that you keep going to that are materialistic, sell it. If there's stuff you shouldn't be doing online, get rid of online access in private. If there's things that are causing you to sin, get rid of them. Don't go to that store. Don't be in that situation. Don't go to that place. We look for this like... I don't know, at least I do. sometimes like I, I want this like wonderful master plan that has all these steps and it's going to be bulletproof. Well, the bulletproof thing is really simple. Go away. Go away from the thing that tempts you. Now, what about if I find myself tempted by those good things? What if it's a person or relationship? God doesn't ask us to destroy those relationships with our, with our, with our spouse or with our kids or with our, our friends if, if, if they're good otherwise and it's just a temptation. Instead, what we should do then is prioritize time with Jesus and ask that person for accountability. What if we made worship a family affair instead of our family being the affair we have on Jesus? If you're struggling to build worship into your time because your family is where you're spending all your time, maybe you need to, as a family, worship God together instead of doing it on your own. Flee from your idols. Find yourself some sense of accountability. Allow God to do the work. Point one. Second thing that we might need to do is focus on God. When the psalmist wrote about this situation with the golden calf, he said this, they worshiped the golden calf because they forgot God. Now, when I read this story, it's really easy for me to be like, 40 days, come on, Israel. You couldn't make it 40 days. But if I'm honest, it's usually within myself, 40 seconds, Kyle. You couldn't have made it 40 seconds. Right? We go there, we easily forget what God is doing. We easily forget what God is up to in our waiting. John White in his book, The Golden Calf, says this, we have overvalued the calves that we worship and we have underestimated, taken for granted, forgotten the God of power that we love and profess to worship. I would encourage you daily to remind yourself of who God is and the power of his presence. The Israelites began to build their idol because they stopped looking for what God was doing. One of the things that I have found particularly helpful, especially because sometimes I find that I'm not very good at seeing what God's doing in my own life. Like I'm often like a step behind. I often don't see it till after it's happened. Maybe you're like this. One of the things that I found helpful then is not to just look at what God's doing in my life, but looking at what God's doing in someone else's life it's often a lot more clear for me to look outside of myself to see how God is moving. And then what happens is I remember, yeah, the Spirit of God really is alive and active. And what the Spirit of God is doing for that person and in that person and through that person, I know I can have that. And maybe God's doing that same thing in me, just like that person doesn't see it in themselves and I see it in them. Maybe the same thing is true, because it often is. And so I remember, yes, God is work. I want to experience that. It helps me keep on track when I'm fighting the sins that I face because I'm looking to be spiritually formed in the way of the Spirit as I give myself to him. Remind yourself of how empty your idols are and remind yourself that God satisfied. In addition to this, let me also just challenge us to consider using what God has given you. One of the best ways to make sure you're not misusing the time, the resources, the talents that God has given you is to actively use them to serve his purposes. To actively use it to better other people, to help other people follow the Lord, to be invested in what God is doing outside of yourself. What if instead of being materialistic with our our money, our vehicles, our homes, we use them? to benefit other people. We gave towards the causes of Christ. We used our vehicle to go help somebody out who's in need, even if we like to keep our truck looking nice and clean. What if we opened up our home to those people who felt disconnected and like they had no place to go, and they could come in and visit with people and share a conversation and community around Jesus. What if we use those amazing talents that are so diversified in this church to each aptly apply them towards something that would be good outside of ourselves? Well, then I think we would find ourselves a lot less wanting of what we could do and a lot more excited to pour into what God is doing. What if instead of seeking ourselves as the focus or those things that we keep going back to, we continue look to look to the Lord and take active steps, fleeing from temptation, finding accountability in community, and using the gifts we have? I think that would reduce a whole lot of our idol worship. The question is, are we willing? Are we willing to keep our eyes focused on God? even when we're sick of following him or waiting on him. Are we willing to honor the sacrifice of Jesus by being like him and sacrificing ourselves? I wanna take just a couple minutes here and I just want us to take a time to worship God by being silent. One of the things that builds idol worship in our lives is the busyness and our constant need to have our attention on something else. This is something that's really hard for me. Really, really hard for me to just stop and be silent. But the thing is, the Lord says, I speak in a small voice. In the stillness, I am there. So we're going to just take a moment, and I want you to just have an opportunity in the silence to ask yourself, if you already haven't asked yourself, what is my golden cow?" And then take time to consider what God has done for you. And then perhaps, what can I do to flee from that temptation? To build my worship of God up over my worship of other things. Feel free to write it down, think it out, draw it on your, the back of a bulletin or whatever that's in front of you. Take time to really quietly sit and reflect. Then after a moment or two, I'll pray and we'll worship through singing together in a song of response. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are present to speak to us through your word. When we're silent in reflection on you, and Lord God, I'm sure that it's those of us who are, are attuned to that and we're hearing you, and Lord God, we thank you for that. Would you speak clearly and loudly so we can more move forward in, in the ways of you? But Lord God, I recognize there's probably also people who are sitting here waiting waiting on you. And Lord God, I just pray that in some way you would bring them comfort and bring them peace and focus because God, we know you don't always answer right in the moment. We want you to answer but you wait for the perfect time. And we know that it is good when we hear from you. So God, I just pray as people wait, they would recognize that it is it's not a failure of you. It's not a failure on them they need to continue to come back to you and God for all of us Lord we thank you that we can come come to you time and time again because of what you've done on the cross Jesus we thank you for your sacrifice God I can't believe it I can't believe how how good you are despite how awful we are God, I thank you that you continue to work with us to tear down idols To elevate yourselves if we're willing and open and god i just pray that we would be a people who would do that that we would be formed more and more into what you call us to jesus that our our focus would be on loving you with every fiber of our being heart soul mind strength and that it would be focused on loving others as we love ourselves instead of always focusing on loving ourselves Lord God, we know that we are incapable of doing us on, this on our own, but we thank you that because of what you have done, we are able. And so God, as we go out into the world this week, into all the different facets that, that we play as, as friends and family members and coworkers and classmates and, and as neighbors, Lord God, I just pray that we would just embody what it looks like to worship you. Would others be drawn to you because of our worship of you and our willingness to give away what you have given us for your good. So Lord God, we turn, we respond to you now and we just thank you that you are with us, that you are in us, that you are working through us and we'll become a little closer to who you want us to be today. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.